Thanks. You know, it is because of what he's done, and I hope that's your prayer as well. I hope you understand that. Um, it's not about being good enough because you can't. It's about putting your faith and trust in Christ alone, and that's what we believe. And this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about where that ends up. We've been talking about walking through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and this morning we end in Revelation. So we're wrapping up our series this morning. You go, okay, where are you going to go next? All right, here's where we're going next. Um, I went through and looked through. Um, I keep a list of all the topics and things that I've preached on for 23 years. And I try to, my ultimate goal as a pastor is that I could say, if you've sat underneath my preaching for the whole time, we have covered Genesis to Revelation. So I try to look at what other books and things like that. I've never preached the book of Colossians. So next week, we will start walking through the book of Colossians. So if you want to get a jump start on it, read chapter 1 next week. We won't get all the way through chapter 1, but we'll get started on it. So um, that's where we're going to be camping for the rest of this year. This morning, like I said, we're going to finish up our series. And we started with God creating a kingdom. And we talked about how um, he had that, that kingdom set up and man made a choice. And I, I want to go back to that for just a second. And I want to focus on two things. One of them is going to come up again in this story. Because ultimately, some people have said the Bible is about three trees. There are three trees that are mentioned in the Bible, three important trees. The first you see in the book of Genesis, you see two of them. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And we know the story. We've talked about it. What happens is man ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and man chose to reject God. And one of the things the Bible is very clear about is that God cast man from the garden, and one of the reasons is so that he doesn't eat of the tree of life. Because many Bible scholars believe, had Adam and Eve eaten of the tree of life, after they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would have been condemned in their sin for all of eternity. So a lot of people look at it as, you actually, God casting Adam and Eve out of the garden was man's protection, was God protecting him from the tree of life. So you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was a, a cornerstone decision for what's man going to do. And then you have the cross, which we know um, was, was a tree that God used and cut down and hung on a wooden cross. And it's very significant because that's God's way of saying, I'm going to make things right. I'm going to give you an opportunity. And then we come to the passage we're going to come to this morning, which if you read further along, it talks about, uh, we're going to be in Revelation 21 this morning, but if you, talk, if you go further in the chapter... It talks about the tree of life that's in heaven, in the New Jerusalem. So it's interesting that the Bible starts with two trees. The middle of it is about the cross, and the end of it is about ultimately the tree of life, which we partake of freely. So that's kind of the, the, the Bible story, some have said, kind of in a nutshell. But um, this morning we want to focus on the end. Um, if you're like me and... and, and I want to know how it ends, okay? Um, you know, there's nothing worse than, um, I, I have a DVR. It's the only way I believe you should watch TV. Uh, that way you can fast forward through all the commercials. But every once in a while, my DVR doesn't record like the last three minutes. And there's nothing more frustrating than going through a show and then it, and then it goes, do you want to delete or save? Or, and I'm like, what about the end of it? And then... You can go online and watch most of them, but then you've got to go through it. You know, it, it's just, it's one of those things. I want to know how it ends. So this morning, that's what we're going to focus on. How does the story end? 
What's, what's the end goal for any of us here this morning that have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? So let's walk through it. Genesis 21. We're not going to go through the whole chapter. I'm going to read the first part of it. <clears throat> but I want to encourage you to go home, read the rest of it, read chapter 22, um, and know exactly how this thing's going to end. Revelation chapter 21. Here's the thing. John is the speaker. Um, John is on the Isle of Patmos. He has been um, exiled there as, as part of his punishment for being a Christian. Um, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So we're going to start this morning. We're going to kind of walk through the whole passage, and and I'm going to add on to what the rest of 21 and 22 talk about, and then we're going to try to tie a bow around it and apply it to our lives. But let's start with this. Um, then I first saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, here's a problem. Some of you grew up around water, and you love water. And the idea of there not being any sea is like shatters your image of heaven because, you know, you love the beach, you love the ocean, you love the water stuff. Okay. Let me help you out here. Okay, first of all, you need to understand that at this point in in John's world, okay, the guy who's writing this, he has been exiled to an island. He is an old man. The only thing he sees 24-7 is water. So he gets excited when there's no more sea, all right? So he wants to make a point of that. Hey, look, there's no more sea. This is good. Then... Also understand this, in this culture, and the culture in which this time was written, this passage was written, the sea was not something anybody was excited about. Um, The sea was the unknown. The sea was fearful. People would get on boats to go somewhere and never come back because it was a dangerous journey to get on a boat and go under the sea. So the sea for them represented a tremendous amount of fear. It was a tremendous amount of uncertainty. And John's saying, in essence, look, you need to understand, this is not something to be afraid of either. And the other thing is this. Spiritually, the Bible says, and God has taken our sins and cast them into the depths of the deepest sea. So it's pretty significant that one of the first things that he notices right off the bat is, no more sea. No more sea. And then he goes on. And he says, I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven as a God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. You ever seen an, uh, a, a, an ugly bride? I mean, even the, uh, you know, some of you are like, yeah, I did. Uh, no, um, you know, I mean, even the ugliest of people look good on her wedding day. I mean, I, you know, they just, they, they paint them all up and they all look good. Why? Because, you know, it's that idea. It's like you want everything to be perfect. You want to look just right. And he said, you know what? When I saw this thing, when I saw this place, that's what it reminded me of. It reminded me of something that they got everything 
right. Uh, it goes on in chapter 21, and he talks about the idea that it, it's transparent, that, that the, the jewels and the stuff that, that surround the city are transparent. Here, here's what's interesting. Again, this gets me excited because I'm a glass guy, okay? And here's something you learn about glass. The beauty of glass is that is not in the glass itself, it's the way that it reflects light. And that's the beauty, in my opinion, of, of stained glass, of any kind of colored glass, is it changes, <coughs> it changes as the light hits it and the light reflects on it at different angles. That's why it looks different at night than it does during the day. The thing about, the thing about heaven is that when he, when he talks about the New Jerusalem, when he talks about heaven and these concepts of, of eternity, he uses these terms to say that, that it is something that is translucent and transparent and something that, that constantly reflects and is incredibly beautiful. And when he describes it, he uses all kinds of, of, of incredible terms with it. Um, he, he tells us that the city, this place, has gates. Um, twelve gates, named for the twelve tribes, um, guarded by twelve angels, set on twelve foundation stones after the twelve apostles. And the size of it, which is interesting, is twelve, depending on how you, twelve thousand furlongs or twelve stadii, um, let me put it in language that we understand, okay? That comes out to about, it's a square, the base of it is a square um, that's approximately about 14,000 miles is what it comes out to, okay? Now, there's debate among scholars on whether it's a cube or a, tri or a, or a pyramid, okay? The way that you read the text. So the issue is it's either like a, um, it's either like a box that's 14,000 miles by 14,000 miles by 14,000 miles. Or it's a pyramid that's 14,000 miles square and 14,000 miles up. Okay, now let me put that in perspective. If you were to start at the equator and go around the earth one whole time, that's almost 8,000 miles. So you're talking about something that's almost twice the size of our planet. Okay? Um, pretty incredible when you put it in those kinds of terms and those kinds of concepts. He talks about this place. He goes on to talk about the idea that um, there's no need for light. It, it's interesting. When you do a study of the tabernacle, um, what you find is that, you know, outside, uh, outside in the court, there's this great big labor thing with fire. And then you go into the holy place, and there's the candelabras. But when you get into the holy of holies, there's no light. There's no candles. There's no light. You know why? That's where God dwelt. He was the light of the holy of holies. He was the Shekinah glory. There, there's no need for light. So one of the things that you see in heaven is there's no need for light because God is the center of it all. God is the light of that place. Um, he talks about the idea that, that in it, coming from the throne of God, there's a river of life, and at that river is the tree of life. Um, and there's some debate. Why, why the tree of life? And, and a lot of people believe that, that it's a tree, by the way, that we can freely eat of. It's a tree that, that exists in, the, in, in there. Some people believe it's, set, it's put there as a reminder of the cross and how we all got there, um, as a reminder of the fact that that's why we're there is because of Jesus. But again, Jesus is the center of it. It's not going to be like you could forget him. Okay? Um, so, uh, you, you know, that's, as Revelation 21 and 22 talks about this place, that's the kind of thing that it talks about. It's a place that we reside for all of eternity if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's a place of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run down the list, because all this is in... Um, Revelation, most of it's in Revelation or 2 Corinthians. Um, 
fellowship with God? You know, Jesus told the disciples, you know, I'm going so that I can come back. So it's all about fellowship. Um, we will understand completely. We'll have all knowledge. We'll rest from the battles that we've had here. It's a life of joy, a life of service, a life of abundance. It's a life of glory. It's a life of worship. It's only for believers. Um, you see, you know, I don't know what your concept, and again, this, you need to wrestle with this because this is important. What's your concept of heaven? You know, I hear people say, you know, well, it's, like, it's going to be like one great big choir. You know what? If you're a choir person, that excites you. I don't get excited about singing in a choir. That ain't my thing. Okay? You know, and other people are like, you know, oh, you know, I can't wait to get up there and meet, you know, uncle so-and-so and watch a football game. Uh, really? I mean, God at the center of this incredible, vast creation, and you think football is going to be important? You know? And, and, I mean, if you're a football person, then maybe it is. You know, maybe we play like gold footballs, and I, I don't know. But here's what I do know. I do know that it is perfect. And, and when I look at the Bible, here, here's my concept of it when I look at the Bible. In the beginning, when God created a perfect world, no sin, no anything, and he put Adam and Eve in it for fellowship, it was a perfect world. I get a picture of what God's idea of perfect is. And I get a picture of animals and living creatures and incredible plant life and a garden-like existence and fellowship. I get a picture of all of these kinds of things. So and God's original intent when he created this place was like, I can't imagine that he's changed a lot when it comes to eternity to go, okay, no, 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 we're, uh, throw that all, and we're going to do something completely different. It's the idea that God says, look, you know, when, when I do a push, so honestly, okay, this is going to freak some of you out, and I'm sorry, but you just need to get over it. When God created the world originally, before sin, it involved work. Man had a job when he was in the garden. Before sin ever entered the picture, man had a job to take care of the garden. He had a job. Okay? Now, when sin came into the picture, the job became difficult and not fun anymore. But before sin, man had a job. You know what I'm ready for this? I think we're going to work in heaven. I think we're going to work in heaven. You're like, uh, there's some jobs I don't want. You know, I don't think there's going to be like a bad job in heaven. I, I really don't. I don't, I don't think that, that in heaven it's like, you know, oh, oh, Joe, he drew the short straw. You know, I, I really, I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things that <laughs> I think no matter, I think, I think God has created each one of us uniquely and he's going to find our thing, you know. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping he looks at me and goes, hey, look, I need somebody to like, polish the glass i'm in i'm in let me do it man i mean you know it's going to be whatever you're if you're a choir person it's like hey here go sing every day yay i think sometimes we 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 wrestle we don't wrestle with this enough on on what really waits us past this world um but as credible as place is when john describes it you need to understand it's not about the beauty it's about god and he says it right here. He said, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. It's about, again, go back to your original, Genesis. It's about fellowship. Why did God create this whole thing? For fellowship, so he and man could interact one-on-one. That's what he wants. He wants to be able to spend time with us. He wants to be with us. I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense to me. But that's what he wanted. That's what the original creation was, and that's what heaven is about. Heaven's about fellowship with God and fellowship one with another. By the way, that's why it's so important for us to get along down here. Because, I mean, I understand we're get, like everything's going to be perfect up there and we're going to have new bodies to do everything else. I, I get all that. But, you know, we need to kind of practice because some of you, it's like heaven's going to be really hard on you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's going to be really hard for some of you, you know? I mean, it's good. There's going to be a big learning curve for you, you know? Um, and you just need to learn to, you know what? You need to learn to put some of the stuff aside and focus on the stuff that's important. Um, and, and, and one of the things is, you know, the main focus is fellowship. And I get, you know, people ask the question, okay, are we going to know each other in heaven? Yes. You know, here's how I know. David said, um, I, I can't, my son can't come back to me, but I'll go to be with him. So he knew who he was going to be. When Jesus meets on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, there, are no, there are no name tags. But Peter, James, and John goes, that's Moses and that's Elijah. He was able to know him right away. When Jesus tells the story of rich man and Lazarus, they knew who, who was who. And they were able to recognize each other. Now, let me, let me give some of you encouragement here. I don't think we're stuck with these bodies. Okay? So, you know, put your order in now. But, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I mean honestly, because we're, I think, you know, that's a whole other discussion sometimes. Look at what the Bible says about physical body, spiritual body, glorified body, resurrected body. It's fascinating when you do that kind of study. But in Jesus, they recognized Jesus. They were able to touch him. They were able to see. So, so there were some things about him that were unique, that were characteristic. And there were other things that were not. So I, I think when we look at it, in heaven, I, you know, I don't think it's, I don't even have any problem at all knowing who my dad is. Seeing my dad, recognizing my dad. You know? Because why? Because, see, God created this thing for fellowship. That's what he takes great delight in. And, and you know what? Some of you miss that idea. I mean, you're in your own little world doing your own little thing. There's not a lot of investment and time with other people. You know, the name of this place is Holly Springs, which is kind of where we li- live. I mean, Holly Springs, two miles down the road. It's where we started. Bible, which is what we focus on, and fellowship, which is what we do. And you understand, fellowship is a very, very important part of it. Why? Because it's central to who God is. He wants man for fellowship. He wants us to fellowship. He wants us to be together. He takes great delight this morning in looking down from heaven and going, look at all those people that love me and can get along when I couldn't put them together with any other thing in the world. Look at that odd group. I mean, there's old people and there's young people. We got people who are professionals and we got people who work on the line. We got, we, we got single. We got everything. God looks at it and goes, wow, that's amazing. All those people get together circled around what? Worship and fellowship. Hey, guys, great. You're practicing because this is what you could do for all eternity. This is what we do. It's who we are. And John is amazed when he starts describing this place. 
So I, I think we're going to know each other. I think the Bible's pretty clear about that. So let me talk about two takeaways. First of all, for those of you that may have swallowed the world's ideas, and, and here's what the world says. The world says, look, we're all going to heaven. The Bible says differently. The world says it doesn't matter how you get there. There are many ways to God. The Bible says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Mark my words. If there's anybody in heaven who has not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then Jesus was a liar. Because Jesus said, no one gets there but through me. And he is no liar. There is no other way. And he offers you salvation. He offers you a gift but it's not yours until you take it. Let's say after, let's say after the service, somebody comes up to me and says, hey, pastor, I, I, I'm going to put in a plug here, but I'm going to try. Pastor, I know that, that your favorite restaurant of all time is Upa time. And it is. It is. Make no mistake about it. It's up on Hamilton. I love that place. I walk in. They don't even ask me my order. They ring it up. They're so used. In fact, most of the time you have to go up to the counter. I can sit down and they will bring me mine. That's how, that's how well I, that, I, these people know me. They don't know my name. They know exactly what I want. And so, and every time. So anyway, let's say you came up to me and said, hey, look, I know that's your favorite restaurant, so here's what I know. Um, I'm going to give you $100 worth of gift certificates to Upa Time. The mailman comes in once a week. Or comes in, when I'm there, when I'm there the, the mail guy comes in, and that's what he always yells. Yes, he does, out loud, as loud as he can. Um, so anyway, so, but <laughs> Upa time, Upa time, Upa. It's, a, it's phenomenal euros, and I love euros. So anyway, here's the thing. So you give me $100 gifts to me, and I say, hey, thank you, I appreciate it. I really like them. I love them. I thank you so much for this. <laughs> and then I stick them in my wallet. And I'll never use them. I go in and I keep giving them cash, keep giving them my credit card, keep paying for them, and I never, ever use the gift certificate. Now, here's a question. Did I really receive them? See, they don't have any value until I give them to the cashier. Up until then, it's no different than you giving them to me and me not having them at all. And salvation's the same way. God says, look, it's offered to you. Here it is. It's a gift, but you've got to accept it, and you have to embrace it, and you have to make it your own. And those gift certificates, although they're in my possession, I do not become personal. They do not become effective until I hand them to the cashier and go, here, here's my gift certificate for the next 15 times. Um, you know, that's what, I mean, you know, it's, not, it's not any good until that point. And salvation is no different. Until you put your faith and trust in Christ and receive it and make it your own, it does you no good to have it offered or to hear it every week or to know that you can. And you need to understand, because I've had gift certificates from there, they have an expiration date. And so does God's offer. And the second you take your last breath and your heart beats for the last time, there is no second chance. There is no second offer. There is no, oops, I made a mistake. I want to go back and use them now. It's done. 
But until you take your last breath, until your heart beats for the last time, God offers that gift to you to embrace and make it your own. So I challenge that if that's your, that, that your prayer is, that my prayer for you is that you have put your faith and trust in Christ. Now, many of you here have done that. And I'm thrilled for that. So let me talk to you for a second. I think we hold on to this world way too tight. This world is not our home. We are just running through it. And I think we forget that. I think we get so attached to this thing called life that we hang on to it at, at in my opinion, in some case, crazy medically. Medically, we do, we do some crazy things because we want to hang on to it so dearly. I think we really need to step back and embrace a theology of what does it mean to really rest in God? Um, because if you haven't figured this out yet, if you haven't dealt with like elderly parents and some of the things that come with that, you need to wrestle with that. Just because we can do it doesn't mean we should do it. And that's a problem in our culture right now. We believe that because we can, we should. And um, I, I get why we hang on to it. But here's the reality of it. The reality of it is, for us, the best is yet to come. And I think sometimes we lose sight of the unseen world because we're so focused on the seen world. Um, I, I, I had them leave this up here because, uh, um, listen, listen to what they just sang. I'm a flower quickly fading. Here today, gone tomorrow. A wave tossed in the ocean. A vapor in the wind. That's how he describes our life. And yet, sometimes I think we get this idea and we invest in things that don't have an eternal nature to them. And you just, I mean, take a time out right now. Stop and think about all the stuff you've worried about this week. Okay? Think about everything you've got on your plate right now. You're going, oh, we don't have that much time. Here's a simple question for you. Let me ask you this. How much of that that you're fretting about has an eternal nature to it? Paul would say it this way. You're looking at the things which are seen, not at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And I think so many times we spend our time, energy, and effort on things like ma that moths and rust and, and stuff like that just corrupts. You know, I, all, I threw my back out this week, so I had to be careful. But I all, you don't know how close I came to this morning. There's an old, when we, when we first built this church, we had an old metal trash can, old metal burn barrel. And, and at the end, uh, we didn't know what to do with it, so we decided to go way back on the back property and dig a big hole and, and put it in there, okay? Well, when we started moving dirt, you know, came back to haunt us. So they piled it up over in the corner, and so they pushed it back up farther, okay? And then now they're going farther and farther back, and so there's somewhere up there, if nobody's pitched it yet, there's an old metal beat-up rusted 
burned up burn barrel. And I, was, I came so close this morning to going up there and hauling it up here and sitting on the platform all day. So you go, because you know what? That's what some of us are living for. We're living for that stuff. Most of you, if you live on a farm any length of time, you've got a scrap metal pile. You have a pile of stuff somewhere. Okay? If you don't see me, I want to know what your secret is because most farmers that I know have a pile somewhere. Okay? I understand once in a while. <laughs> we're not asking for testimonials, all right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I understand that once in a while you go to that pile and you use something out of it, okay? But here's the thing. There's a reason it's in a pile and not in a shed. Because the stuff that's important is covered. It's taken care of. The stuff that's not so important is pitched out in the back 40. What's crazy to me is most of us are living for the stuff in the back 40. We're not, we're not spending our time, energy, and effort things that really matter. And some of you have kids or grandkids or neighbors or friends or coworkers that you could take and carve out some of your time and start saying, you know, I'm going to spend it there instead of here. Some of you, I, I, I hear this every year, and I, forgive me if you think I'm jumping on toes, but I'm jumping on toes. I hear this every year. We do the fellowships all summer long. You know what I hear every single year? That was like the best thing in the world. That was so great. We need to do that more. Oh, that was so great. I remember how valuable that was. I learned so much. It was so good to get to know everybody. And then you know what happened? They won't do it again until next summer when we do it. Let me explain to you what it takes to do what we did. Come over. That's it. And you'll be surprised. If you have food, people will show up. Those of you who came, there was no agenda. We didn't sit down with a bunch of questions. We just sat down at a table and ate, and the next thing we know, we were learning about one another. It's called fellowship. It's what we're going to do for all of eternity. Practice now. Because here's what you will find. You'll find the same thing that every person that walked out of our home this summer found. I learned so much about people that I didn't know. And you know what I've observed? Now on Sundays, guess who seeks out who? Whatever group was there, those people start seeking each other out. Why? Because you know what they have in common now? They showed up at one, my house one evening to eat. And I want to challenge you. Look, don't miss out on one of the greatest blessings in life in pouring your life into people because God gave his life for people. They are so important to him, and he has designed eternity for us to be with people and one with another and to fellowship with him at the center of it because we have Christ at the center of our lives. Don't spend your time on this planet and not do that. You have no idea what you're missing. And those of you who came, you know what I'm talking about. And those of you who've done everybody in here, if you were honest with yourself, you think about the last time you went out with somebody and just had no agenda and spent some time with somebody, and you think about how much you enjoyed it. And we'll go home this week, and we'll jump into our routines, and we will say, I don't have time. Here's what I'm going to tell you. The same thing I told my children. 
The same thing I tell myself every time. You know as well as I do. You make time for what's important. And we all have the same amount of time. It's a matter of reallocating your time. And you go, well, you know, you don't know how busy my schedule is. I don't. But I do know this. People are important. And people are eternal. And 90% of the other stuff that we spend our week on isn't. And I think Satan's greatest, believe me, in Satan's arsenal today, you know what his greatest weapon is in my opinion? It's not like all the stuff going on in politics and all the stuff that's going on in the world and all this. Here, here's, here's, I think, Satan's number one ploy, to, ploy today. If I can keep them busy, I win. And he will make sure, uh, one guy called it this way, the tyranny of the urgent. I will make sure they run from urgent thing to urgent thing to urgent thing so that they can't do the important things. And that's how most of us live our lives. We run from urgent to urgent to urgent to urgent, and the important things we miss. That's why, talk to any parent who has kids that are out of the house, and you know what they'll tell you? I wish I would have spent more time with them and less time at whatever it is, work, hobbies, whatever it is. It went by so fast. Why? Because we watch our kids growing up spending time doing urgent stuff, not important stuff. So my challenge this week is this. Stop living like this place is home. Because it's not. If you're a believer and you put your faith and trust in Christ, we're just passing through. Keep that in mind. And keep in mind that whatever you're going through is short in the concept of eternity. It will be, you know, you don't know how hard it is what I'm going through. I'm not minimizing what you're going through. Not doing it at all. But I'm saying when you talk about what you're going through in light of eternity that awaits you, it's but a speck on the radar. So make the most of that speck and invest in things that really matter. And this week, I want to encourage you. Take somebody to lunch, call somebody up, drop somebody an email, put somebody a letter, do something to invest in people this week instead of your stuff. And for those of you who may not put your faith and trust in Christ, look, there's nothing more important. There's nothing more important because the only people that are going to be in heaven are people who put their faith and trust in Christ alone. So my prayer goes something like this. For believers, a reminder this world's not home. John gives us a small glimpse of the future that awaits us. For people who have not trusted Christ, Jesus offers you an opportunity to dwell with him forever. But you have to choose and embrace him. Him offering the gift is not enough for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for caring enough to die for us, for offering us a way to spend eternity with you. And Lord, for some who may be questioning that, may you help them to settle that. Lord, for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, Lord, we get so tied up with all the crazy, urgent things that come into our world that, Lord, we, we, we push aside stuff that's important. Lord, we get so wrapped up in stuff that we forget about investing time in people. Lord, for those of us that are older, we have young people here who 
we need to spend time with, we need to invest our lives with, so help us to do that. Lord, for those who are younger, who have busy schedules and don't see the value of it, Lord, would you work in their lives as well for them to help them to understand how important and valuable it really is. And Lord, when it is all said and done, we look forward to the day that we gather around your throne together, fellowshipping and enjoying you and one another for all of eternity. Guide us this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, Let's stand together and we're going to sing first verse day by day. Let's stand together as we sing.